Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today, I have a very, very special guest on here. You know, this guy is a genius, okay? You'll hear a lot about him. You know, you hear a lot about him in a few. But before I start, right, I want to highlight some of the things that I've gone over in the past, right? I've done programming languages, right? We've delved into... Um, to, to, to several topics related to data science, data analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all that good stuff. Um, sometimes I like to dive into a specific field of interest, okay? And right now, what we're gonna do is have a topic, a conversation on healthcare and, and, and how AI and ML impacts that, all right? So I brought a special guest on, his name is Joe Brew. Very, very intelligent person, you know? Um, and if you don't know, data science and big data analytics can provide practical insights and aid in the decision-making of strategic decision uh, concerning, decision concerning things like healthcare, healthcare systems, right? And it helps build a comprehensive view of the patients, the consumers, and more. Um, and so when you think about healthcare, okay, when I think about healthcare, especially right now, right, I think about the pandemic that's going on. And with the current pandemic going on, you know, data science will probably be the way that we solve many of those crucial problems and answer many of those crucial questions um, that we're uncertain about, you know. So I just want everybody to give a warm welcome to Joe Bruce. Hey, what's up, Joe? <laughs> Thanks so much, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Joe is a data scientist, right? I call myself a data scientist, but I think Joe might be several levels ahead of me, you know, <laughs> based off of his history, he'll be able to tell you a bit, uh, a bit about himself. Um, with his background in public health, all right? And so uh, Joe has worked in infectious disease control surveillance, monitoring and case finding in places ranging from Nepal to, to Florida um, in the U.S., you know, which is actually where he's from. You know, are you from Gainesville, Florida, or are you from another yeah. part of Florida? Gainesville, okay, okay. Florida, country. Great, great, great. <laughs> so he now focuses on building um, something that he'll talk a little bit more about uh, called Hype. Uh, which is an artificial intelligence company which aims to improve respiratory health, remote patient monitoring and diagnostics by detecting and quantifying cough from ambient uh, noise. So, Joe, please tell them about yourself, man. Yeah, I mean, th thanks so much for, for having me. I think I think you've overhyped me a little bit. Um, and I think <laughs> one of the reasons for my success in the field of data science is not because I'm a genius. In fact, quite the opposite. I, often when I find myself with other data scientists, I'm the, the stupid one in the room. But I, th I think of stupidity as a feature and not a bug sometimes in the sense that it, it, it keeps you humble and it helps you focus on the low hanging fruit, right? And so, and this is by ways of introduction, like so many data scientists are enamored by the really hard problems. Can we use this to predict the next tornado or something? Right, Meanwhile, right. there's a lot of not that hard problems to solve that are super important for humanity, right? And I, I think mm -hmm. rather than being distracted by some of the hardest problems, which I mean, all the geniuses out there, go ahead, solve the hard problems. I'm going to focus on the easy ones. And, and my career has been marked, I would say, by, by trying to use the best methods. So the newest, the newest you know, models and, and approaches and methodologies not to solve the hardest problems, but to solve the most important problems, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you know, and I'll give you like a trivial example. A, a hard problem might be predicting whether somebody is going to, you know, click a like on this photo or not on Instagram. That's pretty hard, right? You got to mm -hmm. cross demographics and the characters through the photos. Meanwhile, an important problem is figuring out where people have tuberculosis or COVID-19 because mm -hmm. they're going to be an infectious you know, agent in their community, they're going to infect their loved ones and, and it's going to keep a, a pandemic rolling along, right? But it turns out it's actually a lot easier to find people with the disease than it is to predict that, you know, their preferences and photo likes. But almost all of the data science is, is focused on is on the on the latter, right? Click rates and maximizing ads and right. things like this. 
and so so coming coming to data science, I, I mean, I consider myself a public health scientist first and foremost. I happen to be a data scientist because every scientist has to be a data scientist in, in the year 2022. But uh, coming to to data science with this public health approach, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all enamored. I'm not I'm not distracted by which problem is harder or easier. I'm, I'm focused laser focused on finding those problems which have the greatest impact if solved. Right. Mm. And, and for, for, for me, one of those is, is uh, detecting when people have disease, right? Because the way, we, the way we do surveillance right now, the way we, we monitor to see, hey, is there an outbreak? We wait for people to get really sick and then for those people to show up at an emergency room and say, I'm really sick. And then we check a little box and we send that box to the state and the state sends it to the CDC. And then somebody at the CDC looks at a spreadsheet and says, hey, that's strange. A lot of people seem to be coughing and in Atlanta, right? But I know what 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 Hyfe emerged as was not is 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 this idea that why do we wait for people to get really sick and then go tell us that they're sick to act when you and me and about everybody else we know is carrying an internet connected microphone and around in their pocket right now, right? Right. And so rather than waiting for them to say, hey, I'm sick, why not just pick up the obvious, which and it's hard to tell somebody's sick. I mean, what are you going to do? Get them to stick a thermometer in there? No, you know, right. get them to do an antigen <laughs> test up their nose. You're going to get them to do a push survey every. So what are the telltale symptoms of respiratory illness that are not hard to capture? Right. Again, mm -hmm. I'm not fascinated by the hard problems. I'm not smart enough for the hard problems. The easy problem, cough. Cough is a unique very telltale indicator of respiratory distress and disease, right? And it's pretty easy to capture. It doesn't sound that much like other things. If I cough, right. <coughs> it's, 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 it's a pretty clear acoustic signature, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, so with, with the, the beginning of the pandemic, what, what I did was identified, hey, here's something very important, not something very hard, but something very important. What if we just knew when and where people were coughing? We didn't have enough tests back then. We couldn't PCR everybody. We couldn't do antigen tests. But if you just know when and where people are coughing, you can help public health authorities, you know, control a pandemic. You can help notify people and say, hey, your cough is, is sounding worse or you're coughing more frequently, right? You could build a heat map, you know, at the level of a country, but also at the level of even a school and say, oh, the third grade wing coughs have increased significantly in the last week maybe we should we should block off third grade rather and maybe you could prevent closing an entire school if you just close off third mm -hmm. grade right so 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 this is it, it's not a genius idea and it's certainly not a genius level problem to solve it just took somebody uh having the initiative to say hey let's start counting coughs let's start paying attention to cough and to my amazement almost nobody was i mean nobody was doing it nobody was out there trying to quantify cough we were doing much harder things like Hey, can we detect, you know, Alzheimer's in the tone of your voice? But nobody was saying, hey, what if we just counted coughs among right. those six billion microphones floating out there? So so that's hype. And, and that's that's what I am. I'm, I'm a dumb data scientist who likes dumb, yeah. but very high <laughs> impact problems. And that's that's how hype came along. So so this is very, very interesting, you know, because you have hit something that um, I guess I would say is unique. Right. You know, because. Like you said, so many people try to tackle those hard problems, right? You know, we've had a pandemic going on for what two plus years, right? You know, or two years or so, and 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 you you see when the pandemic happens, you see all these symptoms, right? You know, you get a list of about I don't know. You would think that it's the same symptoms that are going on, and and the flu, right? It's the same symptoms going everywhere. I'm like, I I just don't know, right? You know, but if you pinpoint a common symptom. Them, right, that common denominator, you know, across multiple different diseases of, right, um, the cough, right? Everybody's been talking about the cough for years. Like you said, right, the cough is something that is captured. If you look at majority of these respiratory diseases, right, you know, this the cough is there, right, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, uh, how often are you coughing? You know, how many times, right? You know, um, is it a hard cough versus a soft cough, right? Is it coming up with phlegm versus that or something like that? All of that stuff could be detected and, and could matter, right? You know, across being able to come up with uh, um, a aha moment, if you will, right? So when you when you thought of the cough, right, right? You know, that's I think of it as genius, right? Because it's something that's there that's been that's been there for 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 so long, right? You know, but but nobody has really said, hey, look, let's just capture something so simple, 
right? And turn it as, yeah, yeah. Into... And, and I think, I mean, if you talk to respiratory health professionals, you talk to doctors and pathologists and epidemiologists, mm -hmm. everybody will tell you cough is important. So, so it, it's right. not like we came up with this idea that, hey, guys, cough matters. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's that we came up with the, the notion that, hey, this thing that all of the doctors are saying is really, really important. And in fact, it's so important mm -hmm. that the doctors ask you when you go to the doctor, they don't, you know, they don't ask you, hey, how, are you hot or cold today? They would never ask you that. They're going to take your temperature. They use a, they use a machine to measure, mm -hmm. right? A tool. They, they don't ask you like, hey, are you are you getting fatter or skinnier? They're not going to ask you that. It's absurd to ask. They're going to put you right. on a scale and they're going to weigh you and then they're going to write down a little number in a book. They're not going to ask you like, hey, how's your blood pressure? They're going to put a cuff mm -hmm. on your arm and they're going to measure it. But weirdly, doctors will ask you and say, hey, Bobby, how's your cough, man? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a crazy question because, first of all, why are they not measuring it? You measure everything in medicine. But for some reason, rather than measuring this, I'm just going to ask. And then secondly, even if you want to answer, you don't even know how to answer. I mean, like, does anybody really yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. We, we reduce this binary, like, good, bad, much, few, uh, mm -hmm. wet, dry. Like, we reduce this super rich acoustic information to this really, you know, dry, maybe six, 10 words to describe it. And then the doctor's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you another round of antibiotics. So they're already making clinical decisions based mm -hmm. on these things. But, but nobody was actually using tools to, to measure it because it was a little bit harder than a thermometer. It was a little bit harder than a blood pressure. Right. Pump, right? It's <laughs> something that you can't just spot. You actually have to observe it for a little while. You know, you can't watch somebody for 15 seconds and see other coughs. You have to actually let them go for an hour or two or a day and, and, and get those coughs. But, but we happen to live at a really cool time. If, if, if you wanted to come up with a cough detector or a cough quantifier or a cough analyzer to, in 2005, man, you were screwed. What are you going to do? Like send people home with a microphone and stuff? 2022, yeah. everybody has one of these things. Everybody they have has a microphone it. connected to the internet. And not mm -hmm. only do they have it, you don't have to say, yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we, you don't even have to say, hey, hey, Bobby, man, take this, take this to the bathroom with you because I really want to get your coughs even, even when the, the steam is coming from the shower and see what happens. I don't even have to ask because you're going to take it with you anyway. Everybody yeah. goes to the bathroom with their phone, right? Like everybody, everybody takes it to their bedroom. Everybody takes it to work. Everybody takes it everywhere. So they've got, people have this microphone they carry around everywhere, right? It's connected to the internet, meaning you could retrieve the sounds from that if, 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 if you have basically turn them on. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. instead of using that amazing tool that humanity created in the last few years, doctors are saying, hey, how's your cough? Right? So, so yeah. again, I want to emphasize this was not, it's not a genius thing. Cough is important. Everybody knows cough's important. You, I mean, you got kids, right? When you yeah. hear your kid cough, you're listening and you're thinking, oh man, that sounds bad. You, <coughs> you know, like the, we all know, we know intuitively that it matters. Doctors know, doctors listen to cough. Uh, but, but for some reason, nobody's putting two and two together, which is how we have uh, methods nowadays in data science, which can take a continuous stream of audio and identify events. These are not new methods. I'm not smart enough to invent methods like that. Meanwhile, we have tools that people are carrying around because they want to with microphones. Meanwhile, we have all of the medical epidemiological minds in the world saying, oh, my gosh, cough isn't so important, we, and, but we don't have enough tests to know who's sick where. Mm -hmm. And all, you just got to piece it together and say, oh, we should turn on the microphones. Yeah. Right. And we should use them for something other than, you know, hey, Siri, can you, you know, give me directions? We can use them to generate a, a public good, which is data about where symptoms are occurring in real time, not, not three days later once the symptoms get really bad. No, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, people don't understand, like, we have the technology available, right, you know, to do these things. I mean, you have, like, uh, something that you frequently use, right, being able to take that to be able to collect a bunch of data, you know, uh, like your phones, right? And then even, I mean, going back to where you said solving something that's very hard. Right? I remember when I was going through the beginning of my dissertation for uh, my PhD for, for, um, for data science, I'm sitting there thinking, what hard problem can I try to solve, right? You know, which they told me that I shouldn't try to solve the hard problem. I should try to graduate. But, you know, at the first, at the beginning, I was trying to solve like this hard, complicated problem. I'm sitting there like, oh yeah, flood predictions, right? You know, flood predictions would be awesome if I could predict floods and all that stuff. And I had this idea, right? I was like, man, what in the world is being utilized the most in this world is transportation, 
right? You know, cars and things like that. You know, why not have sensors on there to collect data over time and stuff like that? And eventually you'll be able to, you know, collect enough data to be able to, to, to say, look, you know, there's a lot of rain precipitation here versus here, blah, blah, you know, uh, collect all the data you can to be able to say, hey, look, you know, it, it travel, it, it, it's, it's common to have floods over here because when the rain starts flowing, X versus Y, you know, blah, blah, and all that stuff. Anyways, you know, you just, you just, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, you, you, you're, you're spot on when you say uh, that, you know, using a common device, right? That common denominator, something that everybody is using to be able to collect the data, to be able to solve a problem so simple, right? You know, I mean, you're talking totally. about- I, I think, I mean, you're onto something else with, with academia, right? Which is, it takes a smart person and forces them to be original and to solve a new problem and to do something innovative and different. And that's what all of academia is, right? If, if you do a, a PhD saying, hey, I used a method created by somebody else and just copy, I just implemented it and I made the world a slightly better place. That's not a PhD. Nobody right, right. Like that. What they want is for you to do something different. And at mm -hmm. some point, what we've ended up with, I mean, think of the number of dissertations that are have been written. Think of the number of academic articles that have been published and 99% of them are useless because they're solved. They're looking for new problems because I mean, that's what you like. What's the what's a new original problem that you're going to solve rather than saying, hey, you know what? There's some really old problems that still need right. solutions, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I come my background in, in public health is in, in malaria. We've known how to treat malaria for 100 uh -huh. years. We know how to prevent malaria for a hundred years. We, we know that bed nets work. We know that indoor fumigation works. We know that inter intermittent preventive treatment on pregnant women work. We know all these things, yet somehow a half million kids die every year of malaria because we have, you know, instead of figuring out how to solve the problem, the big problem of malaria, right? Uh, mm -hmm. we, have, we have a lot of smart people dedicating their mind to in trying to identify new new problems to be original. I don't want to be original. I want to, I want to be, you know, I want to recycle good old time-tested ideas and implement yeah. it and make them better. And and so again, I, I want to emphasize this because hopefully, if somebody's feeling a little mediocre or out there and feels like I'm not smart enough to do something, you're definitely smart enough to do something because you're probably smarter than me. What you need to do is just get the impetus and the energy to do and to not mm -hmm. get lost in the intellectual kind of playground of oh, I had the most original thing, or unlike Johnson and Franklin, I, I did it this way or that way, or my approach is a slight, you know, divergence from this. Like, academia has its place, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to put them down too too hard, but but yeah. I, I think there's there's a lot of space out there, especially in, in data science, to to combine, you know, worthy problems, impactful problems, with all these new methods that are just coming out all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. random forest is is something that, you know, people didn't know the phrase 20 years ago. And even in 2022, 99.9% right. .9 of people don't even know how to run the code. You don't even have to understand the mathematics yeah. of it. Just to be able to mm -hmm. write in Python or R, run a random force, you have like the most powerful weapon in the universe right now. And all you have to do is find a problem. It doesn't have to be an original problem. Just go find a problem. Mm -hmm. It could be school recidivism or dropouts. It could be, you know, I don't know, preventing teenage pregnancies. It could be, you know, fixing malaria, whatever, find a problem and see if you can apply some cool methods to it. And, and it turns out that there's a lot, there's a, there's a there there. There's a lot to be done, you know? No, no, absolutely, man. You know, and um, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we need to talk even more about, you know, stuff because I didn't know that you actually had a specialty in, um, in, in relation to malaria and stuff, you know, and I actually go out, out in a restaurant in Ghana you know, the audience knows. And so I go out there literally about three times, three, four times a year, right? And, you know, malaria is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty prominent out there. So it's pretty big out there. And you, know, you got to take the pill and all that sort of, or whatever, multiple pills or however they have it set up, you know, <laughs> but, but it's interesting, you know, that that's definitely an interesting topic, you know, to definitely discuss and dive into, you know. Uh, yeah, man. So, I, 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 exactly. So, so you've lived it firsthand. Here's this problem. Like there's a pill. You can take it for preventance. There's another pill. You can take it to treat it. Right. There's, there's mosquito mm -hmm. nets, which you can sleep exactly. under. Yet somehow, <laughs> even even, a, 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 you know, among the sub-Saharan African countries, Ghana's doing pretty well. Right. Mm -hmm. e but even Ghana, it's still coming around. There's mosquitoes buzzing around and they're killing people and they're not killing random people. They're killing children, the most vulnerable yeah. people. And they're not killing random children. They're killing poor children out in the boonies. Right. Like that's an emergency 
And if we mm-hmm. as humanity had a heart, we would all be, you know, thinking, what are we going to do about this? I heard that 17 more kids died last night in Ghana, like emergency, yeah. let's go. And instead yeah. we're like, hmm, I wonder if I can get an interview at Facebook so right. that you know, I can work on their like revenue, whatever, get people to yeah. click more buttons right. in the right. And and, and I, I'm kind of disappointed, but I, I don't think it's, it's uh the fault of those engineers who end up, I'm not trying to crap on Facebook either, but I don't think it's the fault of people who choose not to, I think a lot of people just don't realize how powerful they are. If you know a little bit of statistics, if you know a little bit of code, if you know a little bit of data science, there's probably an NGO or a health organization or a ministry or a department Mm -hmm. or whatever out there that desperately needs somebody like you, right? And And it's kind of a matchmaking problem. Like how do you find those problems that need solvers and how do you pair them with the, the solvers? Yeah, 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 I think uh, so many people are trying to do those, uh, trying to get noticed as somebody that has been the next Mark Zuckerberg, right? Or the next person that changes the world, right? You know, and um, when they're when they're creating uh, or they're trying to, you know, be innovative and, and, and they're trying to uh, have a solution for a problem that nobody's ever worked on. But like you said, there's so many problems out there that people have worked on, but they need more people to continue to invest time and energy on, you know, and if we could do that, I mean, that those problems could finally be solved, right? Eventually, you know, all the masterminds out there, right? You know, has Hype, has Hype uh, uh, been able to uh, work with, have you seen um, um, it be able to actually you know, be implemented and, and work out there in the industry and in, in the real world? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, Hive is new. We're a startup. We started with basically the beginning of the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. and we also uh, took the uncomfortable route of, of kind of creating a new field. And that field yeah. we call acoustic epidemiology, right? Acoustic mm-hmm. being sound and epidemiology, you know, the study of disease among populations. And so, like, we, there's not a lot that's actually known about cough. Because there was never, there's never been a kind of uh, reliable, standard, regularly used cough monitor. No, no, it, it doesn't exist. Everybody knows the thermometer. If you want to measure temperature, right. you get a thermometer. Everybody knows the, you know, the blood, or let's say the heart rate monitor, right? If you want to get how many times your heart beating, like you can put this little thing around your chest or even on your watch nowadays, and, right. and you get like, oh, the heart's beating more or less. Like nobody really has quantified cough before. Mm -hmm. And therefore, because it's never been quantified, the science that you build on top of quantification has never emerged, right? With malaria, for example, people have looked a lot at temperature in malaria. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of differential diagnostic guidelines. Hey, if, if the person was here and they have a temperature of above this, go ahead and treat even if you don't have access to a rapid diagnostic test because the likelihood Mm -hmm. is they have malaria. So, So we've learned that temperature is a pretty good indicator. For malaria in in tropical regions. But you got to be in a certain location, right? Probably. Exactly, in tropical regions. If you have a fever in Canada, like it's probably probably something else, right? Right. (laughs) With cough, we've learned almost nothing in in the last 2,000 years because doctors pay a lot of attention to cough, but nobody's collecting data on cough. So we've never built databases on cough, and nobody could therefore do inference based on cough. And so so let's. I mean, it's so common, but it, it's commonly ignored or commonly overlooked mm-hmm. or commonly reduced to absurd binaries like better or worse, many or right. few, right? Mm-hmm. And so so we are uh, finding things in cough that it's not that it's debunking the previous stuff. It's that nobody's even looked before. So, so right. what happens, for example, uh, in, in a COVID-19 infected individual, if they're coughing, let's say, 200 times a day and they start coughing 400 times a day? Does that mean that there's, I mean, their symptoms are getting worse. Does that mean that the disease is actually getting worse, that the infection is getting worse? What happens if somebody who's normally not coughing starts coughing only at night, but not during the day? Does that indicate, for example, post-nasal drip or something? We don't, nobody's had the answer to these questions because nobody's even looked at it. And so we're not in like the evidence-based medicine field right now because there's no evidence based on which to... To, you know, evidence to base our medicine on. We're in the evidence generating medicine phase right now. We are, we are actively working with researchers. We have trials going on right now where we're looking at, for example, among those infected with tuberculosis and those not infected with tuberculosis on treatment, right, at two weeks versus on treatment at three months versus on treatment at six months, what happens mm. to their cough patterns? And the, mm. the, the idea, the plausible hypothesis here is that 
you will see that cough is a leading indicator of outcomes, right? So mm -hmm. with tuberculosis, for example, it is often the case that the bug in your lungs is a bad match for the drug you're getting. And because there's, there's mm -hmm. you know, uh, antibacterial resistance and things like this. And that's tragic. That's really bad for the person being treated because they're not, they're not recovering. And it's really bad for humanity because we're creating, you know, antibiotic resistant bugs. And, and, right. and so what we're interested to see, for example, and this is one of many examples, is if you monitor symptoms during the six months of tuberculosis chemotherapy, could you identify those who are not responding well to treatment? Could you see that? You know what? Bobby's been on, on chemo for four weeks and his cough's not getting better. And you could come and take him in and, and evaluate and see like, oh, maybe this, this uh, chemical cocktail he's getting is not the right one. Mm -hmm. Maybe he needs, maybe he needs some, something else. Right. And that might save your life. We don't know We're we're in, we're so early on that we just don't know. I mean, another, another case where I think cough is really interesting in a population we're looking at is, is the elderly. So, so mm -hmm. the elderly are a special, especially vulnerable to, to, uh, cough because, um, one, one, the kinds of diseases that have cough are more likely to kill the elderly than, than somebody like young and healthy. Right. So mm -hmm. influenza, COVID-19, these things, you might, you might have a bad week. Somebody else might die. Right. right but secondly, right. the elderly are especially vulnerable because they might not be cognitively able in some cases to communicate or their symptoms to say, Hey, I'm getting worse, doctor. I, I've, I've had a really bad cough. They might not, not even be cognitively able to, to be aware of those symptoms. You know, like I, I have an elderly grandmother who, who's a little forgetful. And so maybe she was up all night coughing. And then the next morning you say, how are you, grandma? And she says, oh, great. It's so great to see you. And she, it's not right. she's not trying. She just doesn't remember. And, and so, so to have a, mach a machine, to have a tool that can help quantify and alert and say, wow, coughs went up 400%. You know, maybe right. you should get it checked out. I, I think there's certain populations that are going to benefit massively from that. And others that, hey, you know, maybe this is this is something you use when you're checked into a hospital or something, but not in your day to day. Yeah. And when I think about coughing, you know, I I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, if I've ever gone in, I don't know if I've ever gone into the uh, the hospital because I had coughing. Right. I had a coughing combined with something else, you know, but in my eyes, I was always thinking, man, you know, this just means that I had nasal drip or something like that. And but nobody ever <clears throat> I have a younger son. Right, actually, who who um, would be coughing, and then their response is to give him something that tones down the cough. That was the first time that I ever heard of somebody getting something for coughing, right? You know, and it was like, but still, when you really think about it, it's like, what does that really mean? You know, what does it mean that they're that they're coughing? Right? It's so general. It's such a uh, something that uh, people could say, well. Okay, they have they have coughing, but even though they have coughing, it can mean so many different things. But they don't they just have one yeah. solution for coughing, right? To tone it down, right? Or to stop the symptom, but not really to say what does it mean? You know, you cough exactly you know, yeah. between this many times, that many times. They don't say that, right? <laughs> so because they have nothing to base it on. I mean, all, all good medicine is evidence-based medicine. Good doctors mm -hmm. are not making it up, they're not using their intuition. They're looking at the cold hard data and they're saying, look based on your profile, based on these risks and benefits, I'm going to treat you with this. Now, what mm -hmm. are they supposed to do with cough? What do they do when you come and say, hey, I, I, I coughed 250 times yesterday, but I coughed 490 times today. Right. I have no idea because there's no evidence base. And so we are, we are in a panic as fast as we can trying to build up an evidence base. And we are trying to empower every researcher we meet who has any inkling to, to you know, dabble into cough research to say, hey, let us send you some phones. Let's 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 get on the call. Let's come up with a protocol together. Let's get it through an ethical committee, through an IRB, and let's mm -hmm. generate that evidence. Because and we're finding super super interesting things, right? I'll give you I'll give you a, uh, an anecdote which I th I think is just fascinating. There was mm -hmm. a study in northern Spain we did of Nav in Navarra, which is a region in northern Spain, and we got a whole community, a whole town to use hype. And the mm -hmm. idea was like, hey, nice. we can see coughs over space and time. And, and we had some great collaborators. There's some really enthusiastic researchers recruiting participants kind of. And, and there was one young woman who on February 6th, 2021, you know, she, she was using Hype just at night, just to record her nighttime mm -hmm. cough because she didn't want her battery to drain too much during the day. You know, she's like a phone power user. I get it. <laughs> she was coughing two times a night, zero times a night, one time a night, between zero and two times every night she would cough. 
right? Just kind of like normal humans cough, even healthy humans cough. Uh, and then February 6th, she coughed 12 times. And February 7th, she coughed 20 times. And then oh, February man. 8th, uh, and so February, so she went from 2 to 12 to 20, right? That's a tenfold increase. Uh, but it's still not that much. It's still just, you know, twice an hour or something like that. And on February 8th, she was, she found out she was a contact of a COVID positive person. And so because of that, even though she had no symptoms, she was told by the health services to come get a test. So she got a test, they swabbed her nose, she had COVID. Mm-hmm. So she didn't find out until February 8th. And she professed to be uh, asymptomatic. She didn't have symptoms. But it, and it mm-hmm. wasn't even a lie because she didn't know. It was just that she was symptoms ignorant. She was not aware of the fact that her cough had increased 10x. Because yeah. cough is, is not something you're aware of. Like, what's your heart rate at right now? 63, 75, 58. You don't know. It's like, you just don't know. You need a machine to measure right. some things. What's your You only know you if it's, like, it's like, if it's, if it's abnormal, right? If it's really right. abnormal. Yeah. yeah and, and, and she actually later, she did get some symptoms. And so February 9th, February 10th, she started coughing more. And, and by that point, hey, maybe hype's not so valuable. You don't need a tool to tell you you're coughing if, if you know you're coughing. But February 6th and February 7th, hype, the app, the algorithms picked up on her cough and started counting a big increase in cough. And she didn't know. And I think, imagine if we all used this kind of tech and we got that notification. And instead of waiting until February 8th to test her, we had tested her February 6th when her cough started. We would have probably found that she was COVID positive then. And mm-hmm. maybe she would have not infected more members of the community. And maybe in we fact. could slow down or turn the tide on a, a out of control pandemic without necessarily having more PCR tests, right? Without waiting for them to flood our emergency rooms, without waiting for the, you know, the bodies to start piling up. And, and, and I mean, this is an optimistic vision of the future, but it, the tech is there. I mean, it exists, right? Mm-hmm. We can count coughs and obviously cough matters. It's not like we're coming and telling you to, hey, you should start paying attention to this. Everybody knows cough matters. Everybody who's been mm-hmm. around a sick person knows cough matters. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm super I mean, excited about generating yeah. that evidence. Yeah, yeah, because when you cough, I mean, if I cough around somebody, shoot, I mean, if you, during this pandemic, right, if you were at the airport and you started coughing, people would look at you side-eyed. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? Cough matters, you know, people would look at you and say, what, uh, are you okay? You know, do you have COVID? You know, that, I mean, that's the first thought, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You're sneezing too, right? I mean, you know, and you you actually hit something interesting, you know, because um, it started to make me think when you are even asleep, Right. The coughing spells that go on, you're not you're not paying attention to that. You're just trying to go to sleep. Right. You're trying to keep oh, you, trying you might to, not even be awake. You might be coughing in your sleep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that stuff matters. Right. And that that data that can be collected could actually give you telltale signs of so many different things, you know, but but nobody's saying, hey, let me capture your cough while you're asleep or cough in general, you know, but cough while you're sleeping, you know, let alone, you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's so, a, well, let's, hey, we're, we're saying it though. We're saying, hey, use right, right, and let's capture these coughs and let's start generating that evidence. But we're, but we're finding mm. super interesting things. Most people don't cough at all when they sleep, right? Mm. But some people, some people cough uh, a lot when they sleep, chronic coughers in, in some cases. And some people cough only when they sleep. And it has to do with the position and they have some sort of thing that, you know, maybe they have post-nasal drip and it's irritating yeah. the throat when they're horizontal. And I mean, and, and so, so, but all of that is to say that when you cough matters, right? Right. You, you might be able to know whether somebody has A or B. If you find that somebody's only coughing when they're sleeping and you're a doctor, maybe that, that helps you kind of like, you know, do I want to treat with that? Do I want to examine this? Should I give them this diagnostic test? Should I do this? You know, I had what, what you mentioned, like, oh yeah, sleep is a hard time to, to monitor. My son got uh, very sick, I don't know, about six months ago, my three-year-old mm-hmm. son. And, and so I was, you know, the, doing the parent thing where you're just up late, you're stressing, you know, you're, you're trying to comfort them, fever, cough, the whole nine yards. Right. And, and he ended up actually having to be hospitalized for a couple of days. He had kind of a oh, bad pneumonia. It wasn't COVID, but, but it was just a, a viral pneumonia. Um, but, but one of the things, what, what you know, I, I was, and I was using Hive, of course, because it's my own, you know, company yeah, yeah. And, and, and monitoring his cough and looking at it. And man, he coughed 140 times today. He coughed 200 times today. He coughed 300 times today and, and, and seeing it. But of course, at some point I'd be like laying down in the little bed next to him and I'd fall asleep. And so yeah. me, the observer, the parent, the guardian, the safekeeper of my son, I sleep too. And whether I'm coughing or not, yeah. there was nobody observing his symptoms 
during that time. And it was actually really nice for me to wake up a few hours later and see like, oh, look at that. There was no coughs between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. That means he was sleeping soundly and like that. You know what I mean? Versus a night where he'd, you'd be coughing through the night or I'd see at four, there was a big cluster of coughs that I just slept through. Temperature and all this, is it, is it, is it, you know, is it, is it too, is the heat up too high? You know, things like, I mean, it's just so many variables. You, you got my mind spinning over here, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and most of us don't care that much about cough. And I, I actually don't care that much about cough because it's not a big part of my life. I don't have chronic cough. I don't have tuberculosis, you know, the, the, the but there, there's a huge population out there with COPD, with asthma, with chronic cough. Uh, mm -hmm. who, 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 it's a huge quality of life issue. And what you just mentioned at the airport, right? Oh, somebody starts coughing and you're like, hey, you got COVID. Yeah, yeah, you're experiencing yeah. that as the non-coffer, right? Mm -hmm. And I experienced that as right. non-coffer. Now put yourself in a minute in the shoes of the coffer that maybe, yeah, maybe they're sick and they might have COVID. But in a lot of cases, what if they've just been like that for a year, two years, five years, they're coughing all the time. And we've heard of people, for example, with chronic cough who can no longer go to restaurants because it's so embarrassing because, I mean, think about uh, it. We're in the middle of a pandemic and you're sitting there. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not infectious with anything. It's a condition of right. just the chronic condition of their lungs. But everybody in the restaurant's looking over at them, you know, asking the waiter, hey, would you mind if we moved over there? The, like, and so it's a huge quality of life for, for, for a lot of people. And, and what you just meant, like, oh, man, what if you turn up the heat? What if you turn on the heat? Th these people, chronic coughers, they are like the best citizen scientists in the world. They are experimenting on themselves constantly looking at temperature, looking at humidity, looking at what they eat and seeing what, what, what affects it. And, and for them, they've been, they're, they're like our biggest power users, right? They, they love hype because they finally have a tool besides their own impressions, their own sensations to say, hey, for me, my triggers are cold air in the morning like that, you know, yeah. or for me, it really, it really gets worse in the evening from six to eight. So I go out to lunch, but I don't go out to dinner. I mean, these kinds of things we, we've learned from, from them because they're the cough you know, power users. Right, 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 right. No, I mean, you, you, man, you, I think you're going to do something that's really going to, uh, you know, if not change the world now, right, if people continue to collect data and do research on this topic, you know, ultimately contributing to it, right, similar to PhD dissertation, things like that, you know, and continue to contribute to it, you know, they're going to change the world, you know, I think with what you have, right, the device, the product that you built, you know, in your company, um, I think is going to make a huge difference, right? It's data that's being collected that uh, nobody's really touched on. And I think that, you know, what you're doing, you know, is something that is impactful to the world, man. So, you know, I thank you for even uh, doing something like that, right? You know? Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be us. I hope selfishly it's going to be us, but somebody's yeah. going to do it. It's inevitable. I mean, there's, Somebody, there's, right? there's such cool stuff out there and there's, 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 so much that can be done right now with with sound with acoustics and health mm -hmm. and we finally have the means to do it not just when you're at the doctor's office and they have their cool instruments but we have the means to do it 24 hours a day meaning that we can find people before they get sick and we can track their you know kind of voyage into sickness and, and the disease onset and all these phases that usually we don't get to observe in medicine so i'm super excited about it too you know right 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 so you you seem like you have been a data enthusiast for a long time, you know, related to um, whether it was healthcare or other things, you know, and I really want to touch on another um, avenue that you've gone down, which is something called data brew, right? You know, I think that uh, that is something that is also ingenious. You know, I know you you don't like that term. It seems like <laughs> you don't want to claim it, right? You know, but um, I think you have done uh, something else that's really helping out a lot of individuals. You know, better explore things, right? So, you know, talk a little bit about Data Brew. You know, how is that really helping organizations, individuals? You know, better explore and use information, right? You know, and and have you been able to help specific organizations out there? Probably can't talk about everybody, you know, but, you know, but, but, but if there's anybody that you can, you know, uh, touch on any use case you can touch on, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, I, I data brew emerged really organically and, and hype is, is built around a product and a concept and a very clear idea of, of acoustic epidemiology and the science of cough and paying kind of making cough count, paying attention, giving cough the attention it deserves. Data brew is much more re responsive and reactive. So data brew emerged organically from what, 
me and probably you and many others see in data science, which is there's just a huge demand for it. There's a lot of people that have a lot of data and kind of need help wrestling it. And there is no, there are not enough people out there who have the kind of skills or resources to to handle it, right? Mm-hmm. So so some things that might be be kind of uh, standard stuff in a data scientist toolkit, right? To read in some messy data, to munge it, to process it, to merge things, to access databases, to make charts, to make maps, to make basic statistical models. That kind of stuff is actually really useful in the real world, right? Again, without right. having to reinvent some new problem. And, and, and there are organizations that are desperate for it and really need it. And, and so Databrew emerged from what I was I was kind of hearing from the market, which is that like, hey, a lot of a lot of people need need assistance. They need they need help with their data. They need help handling their data. They need help collecting their data. Basically, the whole data science life cycle, yeah, right? Yeah, that from, whole transformation data. cycle, right? From ingesting exactly. to collecting all that stuff, right? Yeah, and, and to the very end, which is they need help communicating their data and disseminating their data, and and yeah. you know making sure that the world knows about. And and it's one thing, oh, I, I made a word document, and it's another thing, oh, I built a website with interactive maps or a web application or something like this. And and so we started working with organizations that were were in this. And in our case, and it's it's partially just because it's the field. You know, me and my, my brother are both data scientists. We co-founded it. Uh, we, we started working mostly in, in development economics and, and public health. So a lot in the development and, and, and health space. And, and most of our clients are, are, are exactly that. You know, public health groups, research groups or agencies or, mm-hmm. or institutions that, that um, often have are overwhelmed by data. They have so much information and that data is not being exploited. Right. They're just sitting on a gold mine and they don't have the key to the, the safe or, or whatever. Sorry for my failed metaphors. But, you know, like they, 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 they want to unlock it. They, they say, hey, man, we've collected this and that. and We've got this and that. And we we don't know quite how to see see what's right. in there. Because at some point it gets beyond the limits of a spreadsheet. Right. Right. And, and right. So, Databrew in some ways is philosophically very aligned with hype, which is we don't have some crazy new method. We didn't we didn't. Uh, invent something amazing we're not smart enough for that what we have is the methods the the kind of tried and true methods of data science and the willingness to roll up our sleeves and listen to an organization and hear what their problems are and say hey let's get to work right and so right, so right. To, to bring it back to malaria because you know that's that's kind of a common thread now is you know one of the projects we're working on is a huge malaria research uh elimination research initiative where they're looking at kind of novel methods for eliminating malaria. Can we can we use a, a kind of new agent and mass drug administration and and see if we can reduce child mortality and community level interventions and stuff like that. And and they have massive needs for data, not just for analyzing their data and seeing the effectiveness of uh, the intervention, but they have massive operational needs for data. They need to know how to get a field worker from point A to eight hours north to point B at longitude, right. latitude, whatever, at this house. And it, that's a non-trivial thing when you're outside of the realm of Google Maps, right? Uh, you, you need to actually maybe find, like, print out some satellite maps, and you need to calculate travel times. Maybe you need to track that field worker's location, and they need to capture data, but offline. So you need to build something like a kind of offline form for it, right? right. And, and, and maybe you need kind of multi-language ability for this and maybe you need some reporting because you know as the field workers are out there collecting and data in the field and you don't have contact because maybe you need a kind of a regular hey what's the data coming in and you need to see if in real time if the intervention is is working or, or failing massively because that might maybe you would call it quits early if you see that it's not having an effect or so so there, there there's all of this requires the kind of data science tool set Right, which is ingest data, you know, process it, transform it, analyze it, visualize it, uh, and it's not—it's not the academic approach of wait till the end and, and do all of that to get a tidy little PDF to put out on the internet as your, as your paper. It's, it's in real life, right? And so that's what DataBrew does. We're, we're very reactive and reactionary. We people come to us and we say, "What's your problem? Tell us about it," and we we try to help them, right? Um, and yeah. again, we work mostly in public health and in development economics. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Data Brew was was very fascinating to me uh, because um, you are, you know, definitely solving another problem that a lot of industries have out there. You know, when you think about uh, they're they're trying to figure out 
you know, one, I always see when I go out to customers and consult, um, especially in the government, they're like, I don't even know what question to ask myself, right, from a data science standpoint, right? You know, I have all this data. I hear everybody talking about data, 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 and it's big, right? I'm collecting all of it, and it's only growing, right? It's not stopping. Um, so I don't know what data to collect, what data is very important to collect, what data matters, right, to that question I'm trying to answer. And I don't know, you know, um, I don't I don't know how to jump in, right? You know, it's like jump rope. I don't know how to jump in, right? You know, back in the day when they used to jump rope and hopscotch and all that stuff. I just don't know at what point to jump in and start, you know, analyzing this data and, you know, even all the way down to the visualizations, like you said, you have CEOs and uh, CTOs, right? C-level execs, they don't care about the SQL uh, commands that you're running, right? They don't care about the Python. Uh, they don't care about the R. They don't care about any of that stuff that you're doing. They don't care about the Excel spreadsheets. They give all this, these rows and columns. They like the visualizations, right? Because it helps them make that decision at the end of the day, right? So then that's another aspect of, of data science that you know people, that's very viable that people do not uh, 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 portray within the organization. So they, hire, they have to hire somebody like you all to be able to handle and jump in and consult and actually implement some of those things, right? Yeah, which, which is actually very bad because I don't scale that well. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, I can I maybe I would want to take like one more client or I, I can't take a thousand more clients. Right. right? Like, <laughs> and, and, and so so one of one of the things we've begun doing is is to really focus on kind of training and education. Right. And, and that is what we'd want to do is, is and it's, it's a not great. It's not a great business model, but, but I mm -hmm. think it's a, a good system is, is what we want to do is train organizations and empower organizations so that they can you know, close the feedback loop themselves. They, they're out there getting data. They need to be able to process that data and they need to visualize that data and analyze that data and then make decisions based on that data. And, and it's a shame. We're just at a weird moment in history where not enough people know how to do it. I mean, imagine like nowadays, everybody in the US, for example, can read, right? right. But it wasn't that long ago that reading was a weird thing that like only monks did. And so if you got a yeah. letter, you'd have to go find the neighborhood monk and say, hey, what did this letter say? And, <laughs> And that's kind right. of where we're at with data scientists. Like I got data, now I got to go find the data scientist or the yeah. analyst or whatever to, to tell me what it means. Yeah. And my, yeah. my and hope, and I think- Like no code, right? No code solutions and all that stuff. But like, you're, you're absolutely right where you have to teach them. That's how you can scale, right? As a business. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the same way I look at it, right? I'm one person, right? I don't even have anybody else working in my company. And so I sat there and I realized at one point I'm, I'm implementing all these things right i'm sitting there hands-on and i can only take like four or five customers in a year because the the scale of the data and all it was just too massive right but then i realized why not take a step back and teach right you teach them how to do the things that you're doing so that they can scale better but like you like you said the business model probably is not ideal right you know but it helps us out right <laughs> oh yeah and i mean and, and maybe maybe it, it i mean it drives you out of if a client if you teach them everything you know, they don't need you anymore in theory, right? But, but, but I also think that like, this is such a fast moving field and there's so much to do and there's so much opportunity. It's not like, oh, all the data has been analyzed. We're done, <laughs> you know? Like there's, there's so much out there that I, I think it's a scarcity mindset or scarcity mentality would be just so wrong, so misplaced right. in 2022 in this field. I, I think like, it's not that data science is like, oh, it's the sexy new profession or it's this. Mm -hmm. I think it's just it is every profession is going to be a data science to some extent in the future. And you, you might be an early an early arrive, arriver at that. But but I, but I think that inevitably. You will have to know how to deal with with data because it, it is, you know, the currency of, of our generation and and. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing. There's going to be some uncomfortable shifts along the way, but I, th I think it's actually really great that we are leaving kind of this data exhaust behind us just through our lived activities and that we're going to be able to use that to figure out all sorts of things, you know, from, I mean, again, for, for, for my, my use case, my, my passion is about using cough and the sound of that your lungs and your throat and your mouth make and try to, find disease and diagnose it and, and help people get better or monitor treatment and stuff. But you can think, I mean, if, if you were, let's say your passion is making sure that boys finish high school or something like mm -hmm. this, right? Getting those, getting those high, unlike in 1950, 
where you'd have to like go and dig through file cabinets. There's probably like some state database with every kid, every day's attendance, every single class, right? right. And you can probably build a pretty powerful predictive model to identify the guy that's going to drop out this year. Right. And in, if right. you don't have a lot of resources, which, you know, most groups don't have a lot of resources, instead of going and telling everybody, hey, stay in school, you can put all your resources on that really <laughs> right. high risk. Kid, the one who's really right at the edge mm -hmm. and you go to him and you say, listen, bud, you, I got all the resources in the world for you. You can have a tutor for every single one of your classes. You can have mm -hmm. a peer support guy. You can have a role model. I mean, like, let's figure out how to keep you get it going. Right. And, right. and that's from data. And we should be really excited about that opportunity because you mm -hmm. couldn't do that in 1950, you know, you cannot, you cannot, not absolutely, man, that you, you really, man, shed some light on a lot of different things, man, throughout this podcast, man, you know, so, you know, I, I don't want to hold you too long, you know, but at the end, I mean, you touched on some things that I really wanted to uh, highlight, right. You know, Hyfe, man, and, and the difference that it's making in this world is amazing, right. You know, the call for something that's unique that people are not capturing enough data on, um when you think about machine learning and artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry right you specifically being in there do you think that eventually they will take over right to <laughs> take over the healthcare industry right you know will do you see robots right something that our novice audience you know and even people who 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 uh who who um you know are just fascinated with this with this uh this this podcast right they always ask me do you think machines are going to take over the world, right? Are they going to take over, you know, the healthcare industry, right? Things like that, you know, bringing intelligence to medical devices and machines is what I see, you know, AI and machine learning doing. But I don't know if you can ever take over that that hand, right? That emotion, right? Uh, that 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 you know, all the different things that a human brings in. What's your thoughts, man? Yeah, I I, I don't I don't see it as an either or, right? And mm -hmm. in fact, by some definitions, I think machines have taken over. The world, right? So, so I mean, you go to a, a doctor's office nowadays, and yeah, there's going to be a human in there to come ask you something. But meanwhile, there's a lot of machines that are sitting there. <laughs> right. If you had to quantify how many humans are part of this experience and how many how many robots, you'd say the robots have already won, right? You got the, uh -huh. the machine attached to the IV, you got the thing measuring the whatever, you got the cables here, you got the you know the graph yeah. here, like the the, 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 the medical on. experience. <laughs> what's that? What's that? I was saying that they're actually depending on the machines to make their decisions. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> exactly. The humans, it's, it's not humans versus machines. It's humans and machines. The humans are much better when, when paired with a machine. A doctor with a thermometer is a very effective doctor. And a doctor without a thermometer just kind of feeling your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a mom or dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they, need, they need their machines. And, and you see this with, you know, like machine-aided surgery. Yeah, it's a robot. But behind that robot is a really good surgeon. Who's, right. who's, who's kind of, and it's, you see it with aviation. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's an autopilot, but there's also a pilot and the, you, I don't right. really trust the pilot hundred percent because they make mistakes. Right. I really don't trust the autopilot hundred percent. I, I like the, the team. And so I, I don't yeah. think of it as, an, I don't think of it as an animosity situation. I think, okay, in the future, maybe there will be, let's say uh, an algorithm that you cough into a microphone and it says, Hey, you look like you probably have, you know, this disease, right? But I would like right. it. There's also a human there that might know you, and might understand your value system, and might understand that, you know, based on that value system, it's really important that you be treated at home and not in the hospital, or or maybe your you know right. end of life, and and you know there, there there's a lot of things that go into clinical decision making that's not just the statistics behind it, but but yeah, the yeah. doctor the doctor is going to do the best when the statistics and the data are very clear to them, mm -hmm. and it's very obvious what that is. And, and so you don't want doctors to have to be artists, to have to rely on their memory and their impressions and their intuition. You want doctors to have all the data there. Machines are going to be a big part of getting that there, personalized medicine and things like that. But then, yeah, right. I think there's still going to, at least for the foreseeable future, there's going to still going to be a really big place for, for humans in this, in this system. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something to be celebrated, you know, like, like you said, the, the touch, I mean, ultimately we're primates, you know, yeah. you and I are monkeys and like, and like, I like yeah. other monkeys. And when I'm sick, I especially like other monkeys. I like the feel of a hand on my, mm -hmm. on my cheek or my forehead or something. And I don't, I don't think that's going to get replaced by a machine anytime soon. No, I agree. You know, and then even when you think about how um, the human has studied, right, their profession for so long, I don't think that should go away, right? They should be able to vet or approve that machine, right? In the, the day, the machine is coming up with some type of 
you know, diagnosis or or I or, or uh, they're they're coming up with whatever they come up with, you know, based off of the data that they've had. But you still have to feed it, feed it a certain amount of data, right? And continue to feed the data to make more accurate and efficient decisions. And then as a human, you uh, with your knowledge and 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 your ability and your studies and stuff, you know, from your history, being able to combine that and say, hey, look, you know, this. This, this this robot or this machine seems like it's not working right you know we need to probably replace it or you know uh the data is coming out just doesn't seem right based off of my message let's let's get somebody else in to look at it or let's get another uh robot to look at it or something like that no absolutely and you know i, th I think we have this uh, you know there, there are some tasks that humans are just way better at we're always going to be better at or at least for the foreseeable future we're going to be better at like i you and i both have very good algorithms running in our brains for detecting emotional distress in voice. Mm. You know, think about like your partner, or your kid says something and the tone is a little weird. You say, hey, you feel right. all right? I mean, that's an amazing algorithm in there, which is just based on some tiny little thing in the tone. Machines aren't that good at that yet, right? Mm -hmm. They're not, machines aren't very good at humor and timing and, and things like this. I mean, machines are, are certainly not good at, at touch and, and making humans feel comfortable, you know, and making humans feel safe stuff but but i mean let's say you want an image hey what did mm -hmm. it look like at the how what, what does the uh, chambers of your heart look like do you want somebody to sit in there with a pen and paper and draw it or do you want to take a photograph the photograph right. is going to be a lot right. machines are just <laughs> at, at image imagery than, than humans right mm -hmm. and, and, and my, my suspicion is that machines are going to be way better at sound than humans and that, that's why mm -hmm. we're kind of one of the best hypest places you you can listen you can listen to a cough but the subtle difference between <clears throat> and <clears throat> yeah you don't hear it that's hard yeah that out. sounds All the same to me right <laughs> you know, a, a machine in that one second took 44,100 samples at different frequencies and can right. actually tell you those differences in a machine that you know you could listen to about 10,000 coughs before you just go crazy and say please don't make me listen a machine can listen to right. 10 million coughs or 100 million yeah. coughs and begin to yeah. say, if you still tell that machine, that's what a tuberculosis cough sounds like. That's what a pertussis cough sounds like. Yeah. That's what an influenza cough sounds like. That machine is very patient. That machine's not going to complain. Right? right. And it can right. learn to listen for certain things. And so that, that that's something that I think, is that going to replace a human? No, because humans aren't doing that anyway. Humans aren't diagnosing mm -hmm. based on, on sound anyway. Yeah. Is it going to make a human a way better doctor when they're able yeah. to, you know, make sense of the sound of a cough and quantify? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. And, and so, so uh, you know, I, I think it's a false dichotomy, this kind of humans versus machines future. I think humans with machines like those are going to be some kick ass doctors, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I agree, man. So, no, I mean, you this, this has been an amazing podcast, you know, and as everybody knows, I like to end it with a little game called overrated, underrated. All right. So overrated, underrated, as everybody knows, I'm going to ask the guest. Um, you know, whether they believe a certain topic is overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. Um, I'll, I'll say about seven or eight topics. And this just lets the audience know that we're, we like to have fun too. You know, we don't, we're not all techie, you know, uh, we like to do things outside of the tech world all the time, you know? So are you ready, Joe? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, cool. I'm only saying this because in Gainesville, Tennessee, I mean, not Tennessee, I'm sorry, Gainesville, uh, Florida, this was one of the first. So Gatorade. Overrated. Overrated? Sugar water, man. Sugar water. They market it as like healthy. What is it? Like just drink Coke. If, if you're going to, if you want to drink sugar water, at least get the good stuff, you know? <laughs> true, true, true. All right. Cheese. Underrated. Cheese is so, I live in Europe now, man. Cheese is so good, you know? Oh man, man. That's amazing, man. Cheese. <laughs> I love cheese, man. You know, my, my oldest son is like, is it cheese in that? You know, with his broccoli, it's like healthy, everything. And I have cheese, right? It's like, okay. <laughs> you know? I, I could eat only cheese. I would, I'd be fine. You know? <laughs> Nothing but cheese. All right. Gaming. Like video gaming, right? Yeah. Like video gaming. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm so ignorant. I, th mm -hmm. I think it's underrated. I think it's really awesome. And in fact, I think it's so awesome. That's why I don't play is because I worry if I started playing, I would just it's gonna be take one of you away guys. from everything else, right? Yeah, I would just be in my diapers in my garage, you know. Like, and so I'm like scared. It's like cocaine. Cocaine is also pretty good. That's why I don't manage it. So, so I think right. it's underrated, but I don't really want to know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, no, absolutely. I agree, man. You know, my son, he plays games. And I'm like, all right, I think that there's, 
that's pretty cool. But if I started to do what you did, I probably wouldn't get anything else done, man. You know, I'm loving it. Never come back you up. Know, Roblox, Fortnite, man, all that stuff they do, man. I'm like, it's great. It seems cool. And I'm like, man, I wish I could do it, you know, but I, I, I you know, I stopped playing. I'm, I'm from like the, Mar the Mario Kart era. And even that. Oh, like, yeah. That's what that I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, if you throw Mario Kart, I have to play it, you know, at least once, you know, or yeah, twice. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right. Tell the television. Uh, it's oh, it's overrated. It, it's mm -hmm. a pretty cool invention, but like now we got we got this stuff. It's more interactive. Yeah. Just to sit there and like the commercial breaks. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, man! I like movies now or something. Streaming, where I'm a streaming person, right? You know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I but maybe that's still TV. I, I don't know where the line is with TV anymore. Yeah, yeah. Good point. All right, the printer. Overrated. Like, who needs a printer? It's absurd. Like, let's cut the top of trees into little slices and then put like paint on them. Like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I agree, man. I was like, I don't know when the last time I, I used a printer. I'm like, I just, you know, uh, save everything to my my computer, my laptop, whatever it is, you know, or my phone, right? Exactly. Scan it through my phone and all that crap. Everything just gets sent digitally. You know, Plus, printers are the one piece of hardware that, like, never work. Like, you plug in your phone and it just works. Yeah. Printers, it's always, like, no new cartridges or, like, this yeah. driver needs to be installed, but you don't know mm -hmm. how to – like, it's just yeah. weirdly hard to get printers to work. And as, as technical as I am, man, I, I think the printer is the one thing that makes me feel dumb sometimes. I'm like, this is this is a pain in the ass, you know? So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, pizza. P pizza? Yeah. Like, e eating pizza? Yep. Yeah. Oh, this is this is like my cheese answer, man. It's obvious. of course it's underrated. Oh, like pizza, that, three okay. meals a day, no problem. I'm I'm happy. <laughs> All right, Bruce Lee movies, man. You know, I I have I I, I I'm kind of embarrassed to say this. I th I think they're I think they're underrated. I think they're great, mm -hmm. but I don't I don't really know. It's kind of like the gaming thing. Like I, I think yeah, I yeah, saw yeah. one Bruce Lee movie like 12 years ago. I watched a lot of Jackie Chan movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get like the genre, the martial arts genre. Yeah. I know I like, Bruce Lee is like yeah. an amazing human being, like conduct right. like beyond magician plus gymnast plus martial artist. Right. <laughs> so I think it's underrated, but by say from a, a kind of a position of ignorance. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I I agree. I I think uh, it was at one point I was watching a lot of Bruce Lee movies when I was a little younger, but then um, not even a lot, right? I saw each one of them probably like. Or not even all of them. I don't think I've seen all of them. Uh, there's some that comes out every once in a while. I'm like, oh, I, I never saw that one, you know. But um, I think I've seen the ones I've seen. It was amazing how fast his hands were. You know, I was like moving around with my face, like, oh man, I would get destroyed if I <laughs> if I ever came across them, you know. But other than that, I I don't go deep into it, you know. So I would say it's probably right where it needs to be, you know, for me, you know. If I was, just I, I, I didn't I didn't realize this was enough. I thought it was overrated, underrated, not. Or right where it needs to be. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 definitely right where it needs to be for me. You know. All right, last one, dancing. Overrated, overrated. Yeah, you know, I actually just had to talk with friends about this. Like, I mean, like, if if people that are cool at dance, like, good at uh -huh. it, like, I admire that, the athleticism of it, the art of it. But mm -hmm. I, like, are you talking about, like, hey, let's go with friends, have a few drinks, and like, go out dancing? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what like, that's the thing. Yeah. It's overrated, man. You like yeah, gotta yeah, stand yeah. there, like look. Yeah, like, yeah, come yeah. On. I'm like the, the most Caucasian-looking guy in the world. Like I, in my jeans, I can't, I can't even do it if I tried. <laughs> like I just like I, I want, I want all the drinking and I want all the socializing. But somehow, like if we can just yeah. do it sitting still. Yeah, you get enough uh, drinking, get enough socializing, they'll bring the dance out of you, man. <laughs> you know, they, they, they say this: just have a few more drinks and you'll dance better. Like there, there's no sweet spot for me. Like either I'm not drunk enough or I'm so drunk that I'm like sideways. But yeah. There's no yeah, spot where suddenly I'm a, a good, good, good dancer, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Joe, man. For uh, wait, you, you uh, didn't answer your own. You, you didn't answer your own. What about dancing, though? Oh yeah, I I, I would say that when that when the when the uh, what I call the liquor courage, right? When the liquor is in my yeah, system, you have you have I, the sweet spot. Dancing, right, I have the sweet spot. You know, if it's not there. I'm just looking and looking everybody else do it, you know. Um, it's like one of those things I want to do it, but the liquor says go do it, you know. And then, yeah. I don't care how I look, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> Performance enhancing drugs. Man. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, so um, but yeah, thanks again, Joe, man. You know, you yeah, it's been, such a pleasure, man. You know, it's been fun. Um, audience, thank you for listening to the Data's My Science podcast, Show to Me's Data Passion. 
I'm your host, Dapper Data. And Joe, where can they reach you at, man, if they if they want to contact you? Uh, check out Hyfe.ai. I'm Joe at Hyfe.ai. I'm on Twitter if you look for Joe Brew. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Anything going on uh, now? Any conferences? Any lots, uh, lots, uh, lots going on. But but I think for like general audience, what I would I would love to ask of your of your listeners is is look up Hyfe H Y F E iPhone Android install it play around with it track your coughs during the day during night uh, and let us know what you think like we're we're building as we go you know we're putting the airplane together as it's going down the runway so so we love we love feedback and we especially love the the negative feedback because that's what makes us better all right well thank you man i appreciate it hey audience man you can always reach me at uh at at mass at mr dapper data on any one of the social media platforms um i love you all thanks again for always tuning in um and peace talk to you later thank you for listening to the data is my science podcast the show that makes data your passion with your host dapper data